Welcome to episode 294 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. We got a good episode this week, man. A good one. We got a long one. <laughs> oh boy, we have so much to get into. Before we do, gotta thank our sponsor, Abstract, for making this episode possible. Yes, thank you to Abstract. Abstract is the design workflow management system that empowers design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage, version, and collaborate on design files. Today, a lot of design teams, they work on multiple versions of the same file. You're often duplicating efforts, and as a result, you end up overwriting or losing your work. So design teams are still spending a frustrating amount of hours searching for files and exporting them from one tool and importing them into another, consolidating feedback from a bunch of different sources, and you never really know what changes have been incorporated and what's been approved. Abstract is like GitHub, but it's for designers. It is your team's version-controlled source of truth for all of your design work. It brings the entire workflow into a single unified place for you and your engineers and all of the stakeholders in your company to collaborate better and keep your work moving forward. Everything from versioning design files and storing them, requesting reviews, gathering feedback, even presenting the work. And then eventually when you're ready to build the thing, you can hand off a spec directly from Abstract to your developers. All of this is built on a platform that works both on and offline, so you can always take your work on the go. In just the last couple of years, Abstract has over 100,000 users. That means people from companies like Intuit and Zappos and MailChimp and thousands of others across 75 countries, they all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. So as the roles of designers and developers and product managers become more intertwined, the team at Abstract believes that a more collaborative and more open platform will ensure faster production cycles. Today, Abstract integrates with Sketch, which is the design tool of choice for many of you product designers out there. But in the next year, they're going to continue to roll out support for more tools and more file types like the Adobe Suite and beyond. So get started. Go check it out. They're giving you a 30-day free trial that's at abstract.com. You can sign up and get your team on board all for free for that 30-day free trial. Again, that's at abstract.com. Go sign up experience the magic that is source controlled versions of truth and build better products together. So thank you again, abstract. Thanks abstract. All right, Marshall, we got a lot to get into, but first we have some follow up. Last week was a Mm -hmm. fun episode where we, uh, well, actually on Twitter, we got to preview some experimentation that you've been doing with the album art work. You want to catch us up on that? Yeah. So uh, we tweeted out the template and some possible design flavors of that template for the new cover art, uh, because one of the things we want to do is have custom artwork for every episode. So we showed kind of what the generic design details artwork would look like, and then a few other episodes from the past and, and what those might look like, including our interview with Lindsay Berry. Yeah. And we got some feedback. All of it super positive. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think it was mixed. So yeah, it, was, it was definitely mixed, which is to be expected. Yeah, let's maybe read a couple of them. Sure. I'll read a hateful one. Okay. I'll <laughs> read a positive one. I'll build you up, Buttercup, and then you can do whatever you want to your Just your to own. tear me down. Yeah. Even worst of all. Baby. <laughs> you never call, baby. When you say you will, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Brett Yanoski says that he agrees with some of the other comments. He says... It's a cool idea, but maybe not the right execution. Certain images don't really look great standalone, and it really relies on the internal image to be strong. But the masking idea is good. And I think I agree with Brett. I think I love the masking idea as long as you have a really beautiful or or 
visually interesting thing to put behind that mask. Yeah. But if you don't, then it falls apart. <laughs> so man, I tried I tried to find a picture for the AR episode. So I have like eight different versions yeah. that I played around with and it, most of them were like a hand holding a phone showing AR. <laughs> yeah, you know super what I mean? boring, yeah. But the way that the mask clips, it always had like weird like phantom fingers hanging out just uh -huh. the, just like because of the framing of it. So none of them quite looked right. So I ended up with um, Psyduck hanging out by a pond with a bunch of real ducks, which I thought was emblematic of the episode. But, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Not the most visually stunning image probably, but um, is the one I settled on. Yeah, but yeah, I, I totally agree. the The image d is is a main driver of whether this looks cool or not. So yeah, but we got positive feedback. So uh, Ryan Morrison, original creator of the current artwork, said that he loves the change, which was echoed by Luca Oreo, friend of the pod. I didn't see that actually. He, yeah. he liked it. Yeah, oh, cool. Ryan said heart emoji, so much better. And then Luca replied and said, "I love these." And Alex Binder called out that using the the twin D's as a vessel for photo seems smart. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of creates a square, you know. Yep. It's just it's just masked into I'm glad you I'm glad you noticed. Yeah. Thank you, Alex. So we got a bunch of other tweets. Really appreciate it. Marshall, what's your sort of plan? What do you want to do from here? Um I've already I mean the the reason I like this version is just because it's so graphic and simple. So uh Krish Dunn said, among other things, he said, Love you guys, but this feels kinda lazy. Which, you know, fair. Although I think it's important to distinguish between lazy and simple. I, I played around with this a lot. Like, I, I could totally see how you would think this might be lazy, but I, I worked really hard on making sure that it was, like, everything lined up perfectly and there's some, some like, philosophy behind how it was laid out. I don't know. But, uh, but part of the reason I like it so much is that it's very, just graphically very simple and there's mm -hmm. really not a whole lot to it, which is the type of design I like. That's just like really stripped down, nothing superfluous, everything means something and is useful or it's not there. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, point taken, Chris <laughs> or Krish. I don't know how to say your name. Sorry. But yeah, I, I, you know, this, this, like I said, this is just a first draft. And it could definitely be better. Actually, you know, I've been playing around with wildly different directions for this thing, too. So uh, we'll continue to share those with you. And really love hearing the feedback, positive or negative. It's always really enlightening. And we value uh, hearing back from the listeners. So thank you for, for all of your feedback, everyone. And for your future feedback when I do sh share more versions. Yeah, yeah. Keep the tweets coming. We, we always enjoy those. Uh, speaking of feedback, we also got a new iTunes review. Ooh. Indeed. So at this point, we get an iTunes review maybe once every month, once every two months. It's not a great social platform. Yeah. Turns out it's kind of a pain in the ass to review a podcast. But <laughs> yeah. uh, we got a new one. So Miss Kelly Brooks, this... Man, this just made my day. Miss Kelly Brooks says... I, I haven't seen this yet. I teach UX and design at a university, and this podcast helps me stay up to date with what is going on in the quote-unquote real world. I often add something I learned from the show into my lessons. Wow. Uh-oh. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Marshall? Uh, You're in the classroom now. Honored and scared. <laughs> Terrified, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe we should start rigbying ourselves. Everything we say is like... If you're hearing this in a classroom, just know that our specific set of circumstances uh, led us to this opinion. Uh -huh. <laughs> Take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. Everything should every be taken sentence. with salt. Every yeah. sentence. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's awesome. That's that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you, Miss Kelly, Kelly Brooks is the iTunes username. So I can only assume that your name is Kelly Brooks. So thanks, Kelly. Professor. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks, Professor. Yeah, yeah. Well, so fancy. I feel so I guess fancy. They, they, they didn't specify what do, level of education, but Professor sounds kind of nice. So we're, we're influencing the next generation of kindergartners, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if it's just a kindergarten class and she's teaching the principles of UX when, when they're drawing? That's when you got to get them. Got to get them early. Uh, Jimmy, I noticed, I noticed the white space on your triangle was a little bit, uh, I don't know, unbalanced, I'd say. Mm, uh, Timmy, you're coloring outside the 8-bit eight eight grid. This is not... <laughs> Timmy picks his nose. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. We have a fun episode. We interviewed a designer today. We've got another interview episode for you. Indeed. Yes. Our guest today is T. Chang, a UX designer at Riot Games, working on League of Legends. So we have a lot of game talk to talk about and uh, interesting ways how UX works inside of gaming, which um, she had great answers to and we had a really great conversation. So yeah, I love I, I love that there's so many parallels, yet so many things that have to be considered in games that I would never think of. So yep, lots of really cool stuff that actually gives me a lot of hope for the future of gaming, because it seems like in the same way that the uh, kind of app industry has started to really appreciate design, you know, in the last decade or so, uh, I feel like gaming is starting to recognize that UX is an integral part of the process. And um, I'm hoping to see a lot more of that in the future. So it was really cool talking to her. All right, well, let's get into it. Our interview with T. Chang. All right, well, we're here with T. Chang, uh, whose favorite color is green. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is like the thing that you talk about the most, I feel like, on the internet now. That's probably true. I mean, so I... Let's turn it over to you. Besides your favorite color being green, for people who don't know you, can you introduce yourself? What do you do? Yeah, so um, I'm T. I work at Riot Games as a UX designer on League of Legends. And so I am mainly working in a lot of the UI space, but touch on a lot of weird random things throughout League of Legends too, like some things in the game, some things outside of the game. But yeah, my Riot handle is Riot Greenly, so (laughs) (laughs) that's why everybody knows I love the color green a lot. If you ever get to see my desk, it is actually a beacon of greenness. I have like green knickknacks everywhere. Everything is green on my desk. Well, (laughs) also your, your Twitter accent color, your Twitter profile... Um, it looks like your hair, if that photo is is yep. any time recent. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. really leaning into it is is there a story behind this, or it's just uh, is a satisfying color for you? It is definitely a satisfying color for me. I do not know how to explain it honestly. I was just a kid growing up loving the color green, <laughs> yeah. and I've just like had this obsession since I was little. I even wrote like some speech in the fifth grade about why green is the best color, and then my like classmates made me present it in front of the entire student body in elementary school. Um, <laughs> so That's transformative. Wow. It really is. I don't know. So now I, I honestly, I haven't, I didn't always used to lean into it as much, but in the past couple of years, I was like, well, this is basically my brand, just this very color. <laughs> Green so is my not, brand. You know? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Sure. So, so eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Lots of positive connotations there. Well, T, so you and I met an indeterminate amount of time ago, maybe a year, Mm -hmm. somewhere between one and two years ago we met. And when we met, you asked me a question that I didn't really know the answer to. And and as a result, I ended up pointing you towards Marshall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you you took some advice one way or the other. And basically what you were asking at the time was uh, your hobby at the time and still is gaming. 
and you wanted to know whether you should pursue a career in product design or, or you know, UX design mm-hmm. in the gaming industry. And what you were concerned about was, is this going to destroy my love for my hobby, playing games? <laughs> and here we are a year later, and, and you've obviously chosen one path. You're working at Riot Games. So how's it going? What, what ended up happening there? What did you learn? Also, was, was Riot part of your habit beforehand? Because it's very specific, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's an interesting question, because I started playing League of Legends like season one. So it was like years ago. Okay, so yes is the answer. <laughs> but but right before I started at Riot was like, I mean, a couple years into college, I actually stopped playing the game, really. Oh, okay, so no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah, you're, you're taking me through these twists here. All right. Yeah, I was like very familiar with the game. I was very fond of my memories of the game, but I didn't actually, I wasn't super actively playing the game at all right before I had joined. So, but to answer your question, like, it is, it's a complicated matter, I think, like, going to work in an industry where you have a lot of passion for, like, the subject itself, and I think, honestly, I'm still having a great time, and that's sometimes kind of insane to me, because I literally play tests, like, almost every day, now my team has like scaled back on how many playtests are happening, but like when you're in the middle of developing game modes, you really have to just be like knee deep in the design and development in it. And you end up taking a very different approach to how you're playing the game. When you're playtesting, you're really looking for, is this fun? But at the same time, you're approaching it as probably a game designer or UX designer. You're looking for points of like, where can we make this more clear? Is it confusing? Do players know what's happening? And so it's been a really interesting journey, like realizing that I have these two different types of mentalities when I play games. But I'm glad to say that I I definitely do still enjoy playing games and it, I think it's been worth it. Are, are you able to separate that those two mindsets? And, and for example, like the more time I spend designing user interfaces on the web or on iPhone apps, Mm-hmm. the more inescapable it is that I can't just use the thing. Like I am constantly evaluating and judging and questioning. Like every time I open any app, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I wonder why they did this UI thing this way, even <laughs> if it has nothing to do with the task at hand. And it's yeah. incredibly distracting. <laughs> and I just wonder if you have that, like you're playing the game, you're trying to have fun with your friends. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that that's a weird UI quirk. I should you know, spin up my my task manager and assign an engineer and, and mock up a, a fix for this. <laughs> I think, honestly, the trait of opening a bunch of apps or games and just, like, looking at all the details is not even inherent to, like, a specific passion. It's just, if you're a designer, I think that is a super hard thing to turn off at any given point. Like, yeah. we look at the yeah. world that way, right? Yep. And it's like, that's part of what makes us good at our job is just like we it's literally our job to notice those details and to see how we can learn from that or incorporate things from that or like notice the things that are bad even. So, I mean, I do when I play games, I do totally notice things in the UI where I'm like, oh, this is suboptimal or this is really, really cool. I try not to like let it consume me as I'm playing the game, (laughs) but um, I'll make a mental note of it background process yeah for sure okay so 
it hasn't totally made your experience or interaction with the game too analytical or or overthinking everything. You've you've managed to find a balance there. Yeah, I would say like if I notice something cool, I kind of just like note it down in my head. And in the future, when I'm actually doing design work related to games, then I might like pull that out of my head somewhere and be like, this was actually a really good example of this design use case or like, et cetera, et cetera. Well, another thing uh, uh, there is when I look at UI now, a lot of the questions I'm thinking of are like, why did somebody make this this way? And having worked at a startup and having worked at a big company and now at a mid-sized company, I have this like somewhat of an intuition of like, oh, maybe there's these constraints. Like I could understand why this part might be rushed or it wasn't prioritized. Do you have that now as well for the game? And, and has it changed the way that you actually interact with the game itself? Like, oh, this is a, a weird game mechanic, but I could understand why they haven't spent time making this a good game mechanic, like beyond just the UI, you know? Because gamers are notorious for throwing babies out with bathwater, right? It's like something's slightly wrong. Fucking, this is literally unplayable, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, like, so do you mean like when it comes to League of Legends or just like playing games in general? I suppose playing games in general. Like have now that you've been on the inside of, of this world for a little while, mm -hmm. does it change the way that you judge a feature or or assess the quality of a game now that you've sort of you know been behind the scenes, you could understand why something might suck or something might not be really perfect or the UI looks like crap. <laughs> I think what I think what Brian's getting at is a tweet I sent him earlier that I was gonna mention, but um yeah, so so uh, VV Rosenstein, I, I don't know where I saw this tweet, but um, popped up in my feed. She says, me 10 years ago on seeing a poorly designed interface. Wow, what idiot designed this? Me today. What constraints were the team coping with that made this design seem like the best possible solution? <laughs> right? Empathy Thank trumps okay. fundamental <laughs> attribution errors. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been interesting because I feel like on one end, I've become more critical of what I see in like games or like design in general. At the same time, I've become more forgiving. So it's like, I'll be like, wow, that is crap. But I totally understand. <laughs> but why, I get it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think like probably the biggest takeaway from that is just that if I have that sort of mentality, the truly great examples of like game design or just like UX design in general start to stand out more to me. And I try to not like even when I'm playing games where I feel like something is super confusing. I'm just like, I just move on from it almost in a way. But I like try to understand why. Yeah. Like what, what were the constraints that led to this being the thing that was released or like implemented? I, I was going to say, what kind of constraints do you uh, tend to run into? I, I assume there are different ones than a, a like an app maker would run into, right? Yeah. So I feel like most of the time it's one there's just like a time limit since League of Legends especially works on like these sprints that are basically based off of a patch cycle. And so if you're trying to get something in by a certain patch, you basically like have that amount of time and it's possible to push back your features and stuff. But at some point, sometimes a call just needs to be made, like whether something is going to be shipped in that patch or not. And generally a lot of our processes are based around that. And yeah, so the interesting thing is I feel like there are a ton of stakeholders on the project. This is like the main thing where um, 
there is a bunch of interesting friction between like game design and like product managers and UX designers working together because game design is trying to figure out like, okay, what is best for the game in terms of the gameplay, right? A UX designer is going to approach it and be like, what is best for the UX in terms of clarity? And so a lot of the times the constraints are like, given these game mechanics or given the amount of clarity we need to achieve with this, like how, how do we have to tweak the existing system? Or even just like, what, what systems do we have to work with? League of Legends is a very old game. And so there's, so there's only so many things that we can do in terms of like change magnitude at a time. A lot of systems are going to have to fit into the existing systems. Yeah, you raise a, a good point too, because League of Legends is unique in that it's kind of an evergreen game and that it's been around forever, right? Like, yeah. It's kind of like StarCraft in that way. <laughs> they figured out the formula really early on, and it's just been a slow evolution of that formula. And it was so goddamn sticky that it's been around forever. People keep playing it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when they have new projects for systems like the new runes redesign, for example. I wasn't here when they did it, but that probably looks like one of the fanciest things that you can see in the League of Legends client today. But at the same time, they had to work with how the existing like design language of the client exists. Like there's a whole visual like style guide that they have to adhere to and they did break some existing patterns to introduce new ones but for the most part you have to stay within like those bounds basically because at the end of the day League of Legends is a game that touches like millions and millions of people all across the world too and so like you have to be very careful about what kinds of changes you're making. Have you found there to be any particular constraints that like were removed when you started working in a game and I guess what I in my mind I'm imagining my style is white gray and black and i'm <laughs> i make rectangles and and lines of text squircles don't forget squircles. <laughs> like put me in an environment where there are crazy colorful graphics and sound and explosions mm -hmm. and a third dimension and a third dimension <laughs> I, i'm just out of my element because there's so few constraints at least in my head so like did you have an experience similar to that where all of a sudden there's all these other elements. Like what was surprising to you about designing in that sort of environment? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that is a very good question actually. It's one of the things that I am still kind of trying to learn how to work with these days. Like in the UI space, in like apps, we typically have like multiple screens to work with and there are existing patterns that are like pretty well defined. And in the game space, if we're talking about UI, like just within League of Legends, we're talking about using a single screen at any given time. And so that becomes the constraint. Like you only have one screen to work with. You probably can't have a very deep like hierarchy of like, you can't go through like this very detailed flow or anything because like ultimately at the end of the day, people are playing a game. And so they need to be playing, paying attention to the game and not necessarily the UI. All of you, your UI basically has to be something that is immediately understandable, basically. Like, give me the information as quick as possible. Do it in a way that just, like, makes sense and, like, gets out of the way when I need it to. So it is a very interesting space. Yeah. On, on apps, you can do a thing where it's like, I show a dialogue box once, mm -hmm. right? 
but uh, and then once the the user has dismissed it, it's gone forever. I never bug them about it again. Like, but a lot of times, probably with the stuff you're doing, it's it's uh, happens every round or every match, right? Like, so it needs to be noticeable the first time you've played it, but ignorable the hundredth time you've played. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is definitely one of the challenges. It's like, how do we present something in a way that just doesn't that doesn't get stale by like the hundredth time? Like, what is something that is noticeable but eventually benign if it needs to be? And a lot of the times when we are using UI components in the gameplay space, we're playing with visibility as a very big lever in terms of like, how do we get this person to notice? But also it's challenging because gameplay takes up so much of your attention, you would be totally surprised at how many play tests have happened where people just do not notice UI elements like whatsoever. What's an example? For example, there might be like this health bar that drops down at the top of the game, in the middle of the game, mm -hmm. like as you're attacking something. And people like might not even notice or you could be playing and like you get some kill and like a notification is supposed to like pop out on the side that tells you basically like, oh, you got this kill or you completed this achievement, something like that. People just do not notice those things whatsoever. And the problem is like the periphery is going to be the space that most of your UI lives because you never want to block the gameplay space. Yeah, yeah. You can't just throw it in the yeah, middle. So it's it's super challenging. I think there's teams that have had to do a lot of like research in terms of like, okay, how do we get people to actually notice these things then, especially when there's so much noise on the screen from like visual effects, there's like sound effects constantly playing, there's like tons and tons of movement. It's banner blindness, right? Like yeah, exactly. There's, there's one thing that has been more effective than other ways of communicating. It's just like queuing UI to show up at a time during the gameplay where you are no longer in combat, basically. That is pretty effective, huh. but at the same time, it's like, it's it's just constantly a fight for attention. You know, I was I was using, I've started using the Waze app for navigation, and I was sitting at a stoplight the other day, and it popped an ad up, and like, is this kind of what you're talking oh about? I was like, God. I was just sitting at a red light, <laughs> and then an ad popped down. I'm like, what the fuck, there's an ad there. I'm like, I wonder if as soon as I hit the gas, it'll go away. And sure enough, as soon as the light turned green, and I started pulling away, the ad went away. Whoa. <laughs> it's like, but it's the exact same thing of like I had downtime right I'm not doing anything I'm just sitting here right yeah that's the time to show it I wonder too like when we have to grab attention like if I have to grab an attention in an app I basically have only a few levers to pull the thing is that sound is not one of them right mm -hmm. but you have this extra kind of dimension to to deal with is sound a major part of the work you do and and how closely do you work with sound designers yeah, I there we definitely have dedicated sound designers and they are pretty important to the game and not at the same time, weirdly enough. It's like a lot of people are very used to playing with sound, but we found that players in Korea actually, especially like people playing in PC bongs, they tend to not play with sound most of the time. So at all? Yeah, like we understand that like sound is a very important channel for communication and it is it can be extremely effective. But because of how we know some of our players play the game, we can never use it as the only channel of communication, obviously. But yeah. So you think of it as a plus, not as a core part. Yeah, we basically have to based on the behavior of like people playing the game. Things like VO or sound effects, they're 
they're super effective if people actually have their headphones on. But we, yeah, we just can't rely on that being like the main way to get someone's attention. So what are, what are the tricks? Like, what do you do then if, if you say, okay, we can't rely on sound, so we need to do something visually, but the game is already visually intense. We don't want to distract the user to the point that they mess up, but we don't want them to miss something important that might cause them to win. Particle effects. (laughs) Yeah. What do you do? Is it, is it flashing? Is it color? Is it? movement in and out of the screen like link tags i'm trying to i'm trying to think of all the things that just seem super annoying well okay so let's get through this yeah i have a follow-up regardless of your answer (laughs) yeah it's an interesting question i think we're like still trying to figure out what the balance is some of it is actually that we need to scale back on a lot of like vfx or sfx for certain things that exist honestly like we just have a lot going on and it is part, it is totally valid to be like, hey, we need to tone this down in order to make more room and space for this UI that is going to appear with other accompanying sound so that it's super obvious that this is the thing that you need to be paying attention to. It's basically just trying to manage like multiple channels of communication at the same time. A lot of it is going to depend on the philosophy of the designers working on the mode, actually. So for my work now, for example, we're trying to rely a lot on the gameplay itself. And so this is like things like in Breath of the Wild, for example, where you might see something weird out in the environment be like, oh, what's that? And it turns out it's like one of those Korok puzzles or something. (laughs) Yeah. We really have to like know that as players are playing on these champions, They are paying attention to certain spaces and using that moment of attention. For example, they might kill like a boss and then something happens because of the boss, like something unlocks or something spawns. We're trying to like push a lot more into the gameplay space, I would say. Mm, So less, less expository Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this leads me to my next question, which is around how the hell do teams balance this? Because here's a, (laughs) here's a story of a big tech company building products. Team A launches something, they want to point people to it. So they come up with this really, really brilliant idea of putting a tooltip on the thing. And they put a tooltip on the thing, it gets launched, and everybody clicks the tooltip. And then over the the next few weeks, every other team within the company realizes, oh my God, tooltip is a really effective pattern for getting people to click things. Look at how well Team A's results you know, played out. Um, fast forward two months and you open the app and there are 12 tooltips pointing to 12 <laughs> different things shipped by 12 different teams. So how do you balance not only like the different patterns for these things, but also teams detracting from the overall value of any specific effective pattern in, in the app or in the game, I guess? Yeah, this is a super interesting question because it's like the classic, once you introduce something into the space, the more you have of it, the less important each individual one is. We typically, this is like an ongoing challenge, of course, but we do have specific like SME teams, for example, like a consistency council, basically, where a lot of these projects kind of filter through and we're like looking at, okay, is this an effective use of this pattern? Are we flooding maybe the client or the game with this too much? Is this the design systems team, the consistency council? (laughs) It's not actually a a design systems team, technically. It is a team of just like these ragtag, like visual designers (laughs) and engineers who 
there there's one like lead visual designer basically who is specifically in charge of like the consistency of the client for example and there is like somebody who is a UX lead for that same thing and a lot of things flow through that but also aside from that there is also like within League of Legends we have um, a group of UX designers who meet like basically weekly and all of the separate projects we're working on we always review them together and like have feedback sessions and go through like the challenges that we feel like are presented as a result of like, here's the context of your design problem. Here's the solution. Like, does this actually interfere with any of the existing products that we have? And so it's kind of up to the rest of the UX designers to pitch in, in terms of that space. But for teams that kind of don't know who to answer to, or like don't have UX people working with them, it can be hard for sure. Like eventually those projects might filter down to us from other people who bring it to, for example, the consistency channel in Slack and go, hey, we noticed this thing. It's like, it's, it's weird or it's off from these other patterns. And then we kind of just try to like backlog that and agree on like, what, what are the frameworks we're using here to determine whether to use something or not? What's the limit of, of how often we can do this thing and how many teams can do this yeah. thing and yeah. how many features should use this thing? Yeah, exactly. Uh, fascinating to know that that we all have the same problems. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In, in like, games oh, and nope. in productivity apps. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm worried about putting red dots on everything. You're worried about exploding everything. Got it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also wondering, too, about accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. is, that, is that part of this whole thing, of th this yeah. council? Do they make sure that colors are accessible for people with colorblindness, et cetera? Yeah, so it's typically the UX designers who will definitely pay attention to those kinds of things. A lot of us at Riot wear multiple hats. So you'll have visual designers who are visual designers by title, but were actually like previously product designers or something, or have had tons of experience in the UX space too. And a lot of people are surprisingly very good at advocating for accessibility things. I don't think we have a dedicated team that kind of looks ex just at accessibility and stuff, but we kind of leave it up to the rest of people working on UX to call those things out. And that's a large part of my job, actually. There was a recent project that I worked on, which was basically getting the new stat icons into the game. Um, so these are like the stats that you see on your champion HUD, um, things like telling you what you're like ADAP are. And I worked on kind of defining the shape and colors for some of those things. And it's very interesting work because you know you have to be very conscious of like people who are colorblind. And part of our tactic to make sure that this was accessible was making sure that you do not use colors as the only channel of communication. We're also using shape at all times. Nice. Do, do you have a colorblind mode or is it just a, a general awareness? I think we still do, actually. It's like a toggle in the settings. And I've definitely seen like in all the stuff that we are using to edit, like, text or color or UI elements in the game, there are actually dedicated uh, colorblind override settings that we can always turn on, which is actually pretty amazing to have, I think. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, you mentioned tools. What tools do you use? Are these internal proprietary things? Or are you in Sketch or Illustrator? Like, what, what are you using? Yeah. Yeah, so most of the tools we use are definitely, like, internal things. And I think this has come as a result of, like, the legacy of League of Legends, like 
working within like systems that like previous rioters have like made in order to work with game engine and stuff like that. Outside of that, I the UX team generally uses um, Adobe XD right now, so we use like Creative Cloud a lot. We've found that using XD is helpful to the point where like if I need to do very very simple animations for my mockups, then it's like all in one. And I sometimes I miss sketch. I'm gonna be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. XD just doesn't have like a pen tool that is like as powerful as Sketch, for example. But for the purposes of how like high fidelity our wireframes need to go, generally we don't need to do anything super hi-fi, which is nice. Our engineers are pretty awesome, so and our visual designers too. So usually we'll like do something in low to like mid-fi, I would say, pass off to a visual designer, and then like the engineer starts implementing. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's just like per force and get. So. Okay, I I have so many so many questions around how you know if you're doing a good job, and I guess some of the context here is in gaming, making things hard is often the point of the thing, and getting people to do certain actions less is the point of the thing. So, like, what are the measurements that you would use to know if a feature was successful? Like, how do you know if the UI that you're building is good? Is it that a lot of people clicked on it? Because that could also signal that it's way too annoying and everyone's clicking on it to get rid of it. Like, or it successfully completed the goal that the UI was trying to get them to <laughs> yeah, do. Like, how do you know that it's good in a positive way instead of the numbers going up in a negative way? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think this is tough because, frankly, I don't think we have the best measurement tools for these kinds of things. Like, We don't specifically have any like super hard analytics around when we release something like how well is this doing we have like things like sentiment surveys to find out like generally how uh, different audiences across the world feel about things probably the best sign that we've done something well especially in the ui space is that no one is complaining about it (laughs) (laughs) silence silence is golden in your world yes exactly (laughs) um and it's totally like Sometimes UX can be a thankless job in that sense, right? It's like when you've done it correctly, people are just like, this is intuitive to the point where like, I don't even have to think about it as like a point of criticism. It's like fully, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like we measure like, obviously our players are, can be, they're very passionate and it's super great. And so when something goes wrong, it's very easy to see. It's probably going to be like, the top Reddit post in like our League of Legends or something like that. When it goes right, often it's going to be a majority of silence. And maybe some people will call it out as like, this is actually super easy to use. Other than that, we have certain like labs that we use to test specific things where like they'll rate things on a scale of like, did you have a hard time like using this? Um, or like, was this confusing kind of thing? And Okay, so more more like user research and con- right. conversations and watching videos of gameplay and things like that. Right, exactly. Okay. I, I keep I think I saw a tweet maybe yesterday or the day before. It was like a tool tip in a game says, you know, this item is is valuable. Be sure to use it wisely. And then the rest of the game spent hoarding that item too afraid to use it because you're never going to know, you know, when you'll get it back. And I feel like <laughs> I, I play that most of the games I play that way. You know, the, the if the UI tells me something is valuable, I'd rather just never, ever use it. 
I'm like, mm. oh, well, I don't know if I'll ever get it back, so I might as well just not use it. And then, you know, you're worse at the game because you're not using this important thing. But that's that feels like one of those elements of the design of the game. I guess that's getting more into gameplay world, but the design is actually hindering the experience, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you're, what do you think? You're just the type of person, because I'm the same. <laughs> I'm I, I've never ended a game without a full inventory, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's interesting because it makes me question, like, if you played Breath of the Wild, how did you get through that knowing all your weapons are basically going to break at some point? That was a huge uh, thing to overcome for me. I did not like it. It was stressful for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I like the sword. It's going to go away if I use it. So I'll never use this thing I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the best sword I've ever found. Better just store it away. (laughs) I definitely struggled with that mechanic a lot. There is something just like so nice about having a go-to weapon or thing that you can rely on. And I was almost wondering, like, how would the game change if, for example, you had a weapon that just never broke, but it was probably really, like, it could be really crappy, for example. Like, you would never be able to use it to, like, really kill all the hard stuff, but, like, what would that be like? But I think in the end, especially, like, working in game design and UX design, you have to admit that because of all of the weapons that you do go through, you end up using a lot more other ones. Yeah, you have a more diverse experience, right? Yeah, exactly. So I always thought that was super interesting. Forced variety. Yeah, which is probably more fun than, you know, forcing people to to do something that's uncomfortable, at least for people like me. And you end up having more fun and trying new styles of gameplay. So that seems like a good, good outcome. As we've been talking, I realize maybe we should have asked this a little bit earlier, but could you help me clarify the the routing here of of the design team? There's it sounds like there's a UX designer, a visual designer, game designer, sound designer. Like, how are these things interplaying? And then I guess, where does your work really fit in that system yeah so it's interesting because we're pretty matrixed i would say all the teams are organized around uh certain initiatives or basically like products and within those teams you will often find like a mix of anything like a couple of game designers an engineer a ux designer maybe a visual designer and then when that project is over essentially like those people move on to the other projects. Okay. So there isn't necessarily like a UX team at all. Um, we exist as a discipline, basically. And we like still have like these monthly UX meetings together. UX at Riot is interesting because it actually falls under the design umbrella. And the design here, when like when somebody says, oh, you're a designer at Riot, they actually usually mean you're a game designer. Yeah, like, oh, you're making the 3D models of characters. or No, or... no, no. You're, you're coming up with how the game should be played. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Exactly. Like, there are tons of different game designers. Like, there are people who specifically design champions. There are people who work on the SR team, for example, like, balancing the game and stuff. And then there's... SR stands for... Summoner's Rift. Sorry. But yeah, there's, like, a huge number of game designers and... Um, the entire design department is basically all of the game designers plus the UX designers. So it's a really interesting breakdown that way. Yeah, fascinating. And are those areas that you would like to explore at some point? Or are you pretty happy in the, the UX sort of slice of that, that pie? 
I definitely wear like the hat of a UX designer, but also secondarily one of a game designer for sure. Like my manager is actually a game designer. He's not a um, UX designer. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's almost expected of me to be able to like dabble in the game design space. And when I'm doing the play tests and stuff, it is with all the other game designers. And when we have discussions following play tests, it's like, couple of the UX designers and then all the rest of the game designers and we talk about like gameplay clarity often it's so intertwined actually that like like the at the end of the day the gameplay experience we are all owners of that basically but the game designers are like they are working in the scripts to kind of like tune values and like what are the game mechanics and stuff like that and then the UX designers are often looking at the big picture of like how does this game feel for the player? So it's a really interesting space in, in that sense, like always working with uh, game designers. Are there external resources or books or things that you've come across that would help somebody listening that's interested in game design get started without necessarily having to go join a gaming company today? Hmm, that's interesting. I can't actually think of anything off the top of my head. Um, I'm sure a lot of my game designer like teammates would have a ton of books that they would recommend. Sure, sure. But I actually don't have like I have I myself have not read any like game design books. Why are we talking to you then? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> no, I, I like if if I had to start somewhere today, I I don't know what I would do. I guess play more games than I currently play, but do it in a different mindset? I don't know. I guess maybe that's how people become filmmakers and photographers yeah. is you develop an eye for that kind of thing. Watch a bunch of movies. Watch a bunch of movies. But you got to do it with a certain mindset. It's not like I'm going to watch this movie. It's I'm yeah. going to study this movie. Yeah, for sure. I think like playing games is just definitely one of the best ways to kind of delve into. I, I think like as far as I know, there isn't like an easy path to becoming good at game design you kind of just have to experience all that there is in the world like you should be able to know like what are examples of great game design and what are examples of like not the best game design and yeah experience shitty things yeah yeah exactly it's it's much the same way as in ux design like it's often more telling to see and experience those things yourself oh for sure and there are definitely going to be uh certain rules or like frameworks things that like people should just like generally know like this is bad game design there's there's definitely like a this is totally bad game design things like unskippable cutscenes for example if your cutscene is going to be like 20 minutes long <laughs> <laughs> yep. okay. like that that is something that um you will know as a player basically like if you've ever experienced a game where you can't skip something or it was just like there's some sub, like you're dying in the tutorial of a game constantly or something. These are all things that we experience as players that we then use as like game designers to make our games better, basically. Got it. Well, on that note, I just had one more question, uh, unless you have something else, Marshall. No, I was hoping you would ask this question. Yeah, I wanted to know <laughs> what, what you're excited about in, in gaming right now. Like what are patterns that you're, you're seeing and this can be totally outside of League of Legends, but gaming in general, like mm -hmm. patterns that you're seeing emerge that have you really excited and then maybe patterns you see emerging that make you nervous or, or concerned about where games are going? Interesting. Let me think about 
microtransactions. Yeah, <laughs> I can call out one example. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I I am not a super big gamer, but I've had so much fun with the Mortal Kombat games in the past because just have a couple people over, watch the most brutal dismemberments you could possibly imagine, mm-hmm. play for an hour and you're good. And then they just came out with Mortal Kombat 11, the new one. And so I did a little bit of digging and basically the consensus is you can't actually beat it without paying lots and lots of real world dollars. Yeah, you'd have to, if you had perfect luck, it would cost over $6,000 or something like that. Is that what you saw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that post. And that is a trend to me that makes me just not want to play games anymore. So when I ask what trends are you excited about or nervous about, I guess I'm thinking at that fidelity, like where where we're going as as an industry or you know what kinds of things players are doing that are are, are pushing this industry in directions that are possibly problematic <laughs> yeah i think that's a super interesting question i think it's also definitely way easier for me to think of things that worry me okay <laughs> it didn't um, excite you oh no <laughs> to some degree right it's like recently there's been this huge wave of battle royale games i'm sure you guys have at least experienced one talk about it on the show even yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so one of the interesting things about battle royale games is they tend to do a super good job of just like the core game loop making you feel like you should go into the next game and the next game and the next game and the next game because they make it super super easy for you to just be like okay i died i'm gonna move on to the next game And you end up spending an inordinate amount of time playing the game. I think that's super interesting. It can be kind of worrying, I feel like. Like, the the designers probably feel like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like, this, it's probably great for the product. From, like, a psychological or even, like, sociological standpoint, it makes me think of, like, are we being careful enough about crossing lines into spaces of addiction? Oh, yeah. To the point where, yeah, like, are are these patterns essentially, like, forming these uh, patterns of behavior in players where it's like we are just constantly feeding them content and they just don't know how to disentangle themselves anymore because they're constantly chasing the high. It's super interesting to think about how one might feel after you kind of disentangle yourself from that loop you know like if you've been playing for like five hours in a battle royale game or even any game and then you just stop like how does one feel after that Hmm. does it feel bad because suddenly you're not experiencing the constant highs of the game that is just always something that i've been thinking about a lot yeah i feel like there's a lot of well the the same thing that the alcohol industry went through uh, a while ago is the same thing that the gaming and product industries are going through now which is is addition the addition of the word responsibly right mm-hmm. like it, you know it's like hey get drunk and then now it's like no drink responsibly right and it's like hey use our app no no uh, we want to increase metrics no we want to increase re- metrics responsibly right yeah <laughs> Yeah. Are there are there games doing anything interesting in that space? I guess in in the app world, I can think of, you know, Instagram recently added or maybe not too recently, but they added the feature where it tells you when you've seen everything that you could possibly see. You know, you scroll to a certain point and it says, "You're done. You you caught up. You can close the app. You're all good." Uh, is there anything equivalent happening? Or even OS level, right? With like screen time and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, that's oh. Actually, there I think there are certain games that if you've been playing for like a set number of time, like let's say for two hours, 
you'll actually get like some sort of chat notification saying you have been playing this game for two hours. And I believe World of Warcraft actually used this system where they were like, okay, you should actually stop playing the game now. It's been eight hours because they had been experiencing like a bunch of players who were just like completely addicted to the game and not disentangling themselves. I think some games actually use the mechanics of the game to to discourage you from playing more. It's like, okay, you get, or, or maybe it's more like they do an encouragement thing. So for the first hour that you play, you get like double XP or something mm, like that. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, it's just single XP. So you're incentivized to play for that first hour and come back for that first hour after the cooldown of that double XP has ended. Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword. People use it for good things and you can use it for like bad things. We're saying If we're saying bad is like playing for X amount of time, there's definitely games that are like, yeah, log in every day, you can get something every day. There's also games that are like, if you log out for a certain period of time, then when you come back, you're actually like, well rested and being well rested is like the mechanic that they use for yeah you like now you get more experience like you don't have to worry about all the things that you would have missed out on if you didn't continue playing because we're giving you this like buff so i think that's super interesting two hours at the end of the session is worth one hour at the beginning of your next (laughs) session yeah i think the other thing i'm starting to notice with a bunch of games is that games that have had like game franchises um as they're releasing games now, I feel like they, some certain games are spending less time introducing you to playing the game. Um, if we think about, like, I have very little experience with, like, the latest Super Smash, but if we think about playing Super Smash now, most of the people playing are probably people who have been playing for a long time, like the OG Super Smash or, like, Melee or at least Brawl. And they GameCube spend, kids. Yeah, they spend very little time actually teaching people who could be completely new to the franchise how to play the game. And I believe tutorials exist somewhere, but it's not very well communicated in any way. And so it's troubling to me that we could be making games now that actually disincentivize new people from entering the market, essentially, uh, because we are catering too much towards the incumbents. This is like the, the equivalent of the digital divide, right? Yes. Exactly. It's like people who get access to the internet today. Can you imagine using a web browser today? Oh my God. Like how would you possibly wrangle with every the 20 years of <laughs> browser infrastructure we've built, you know, like tabs and URL bars and bookmarks. Like you have, somebody has to learn that at some point and yep. that's, that's causing a lot of problems. The same thing is true of, of like the physical hardware of like consoles. Like if, if the last time you played a game was on an NES, right? And then you pick up a modern gaming controller, like that shit has 10 times the number of buttons. <laughs> 30 Literally. buttons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so many more buttons and what do they all, they all do and when do I press them, right? Whereas if you've been playing games for, you know, that like left stick is for movement and right stick is for camera. And, you know, it's like there's this built in history that is assumed Plus, I think there's probably also the aspect of, like, people fucking hate tutorials. Yeah. Like, people hate tutorials, especially gamers, but, like, just in general, people hate going through tutorials. This is why paginated, like, full-screen interstitials when you first start up an app aren't super successful, usually. And I I can't tell you how many times I've been watching somebody play a game, either in person or uh, through the internet, that they just 
spam a all the way through um <laughs> all of the you know dialogue and tutorials like some they're about to watch a, a cut scene or hear some dialogue from a character and just like spam 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 like i wanted to read that like it stops like you know but but people hate it it's spam 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 and then they get through it and they go now what am i supposed to do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah then they're confused why they're confused yep. it's, yeah it's yeah. kind of like the whole if we see a pop-up like if we're browsing something, we're just like instantly close it. Like, I don't care what it was. I'm just going to close it. I've been trained to to do this. It's, most of the time it's going to be bad. I'm not going to give it the benefit of the doubt. That is definitely how players treat tutorials these days. Although there are some games that do an amazing job of tutorializing like the first moments of your gameplay. And I think Super Mario, for example, is a very classic example of doing this because the way they designed their levels it's like you're going to move forward and then like at some point you're going to learn how to jump but like until you learn how to move forward and jump like it's just like slowly training you how to like actually use all the buttons that are available to you I think that's super interesting there was a game that I played recently um, called Grease which is super amazing super beautiful like indie game where it uses like a very similar uh, design where you're kind of just walking for a bit and then you're slowly learning all the controls, but it's not done in a way that makes you feel like impatient or like, let's just go. It's like, if you're a seasoned gamer, you're going to find out those are your controls regardless. But if not, it'll kind of like handhold you through it by just like designing the level to accommodate for that. And I think that is super interesting game design. Yeah, I remember when I was going through that the first time, it was like, oh, I guess all I can do in this game is jump. That's cool. I wonder what they'll come up with, you know, for ways to make that interesting, right? Like, oh, oh, now I can swim. Oh, now I can fly, you know, like they add these things. Uh, But it was so slowly and and natural or organic that Mm-hmm. I was never confused. It was like, oh, I've earned this new thing. Now I want to play around with it. And I'm forced to play around with it based on the level design. We should uh, we should experiment with that in a future uh, YouTube app where you progressively unlock tab bars or tab bar items. <laughs> You've unlocked the ability to search. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely, I've seen that before, not in YouTube. But... Well, there there are apps that have done progressive regression where the more you use the yeah. app, the less UI they need to show you. Like they're safely able to remove text labels and things like that once they are confident you are familiar with with things. But I was I was thinking. Sorry, th- this interview is going really long, but it's super interesting. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was thinking, did you, did you ever play uh, Portal Two? I did not actually. Uh, there's kind of a larger issue with player controls, which is uh, what way is up when I move the mouse or when I move the joystick? Is it like a fighter pilot where down is up or is up up? Right? Mm-hmm. Am I am I holding the player from behind the head or in front of the head? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So what they do in that game is it's a funny introductory thing. You're stuck in a room and they ask you to look at a picture. And depending on how you move the mouse to look at that picture, they will pop up like, "Hey, do you want to invert the y-axis?" Right? Oh, oh fascinating. And, yeah, really interesting. But that's the kind of thing. It's like you they ask you to do a thing and then you do what you would do, and then they react based on what you would do instead of being like going through settings or some bullshit right wow yeah that that is a pretty interesting way of like serving that um it's like basically a calibration period as you're playing the game but completely hidden behind story right yeah that's that is a super interesting way there are certainly i know i talked about like a couple of things that are worrisome but there there there's certainly a lot of exciting patterns still like emerging from games i think 
some of the things I'm most excited about are things like that, where it's just things are buried in the gameplay, and, like, the game is somehow reacting to what you're doing. Yeah. I don't have any, like, specifically specific examples or anything, but I think also the future of UI for games, it's super exciting if we think about, like, the reduction of UI as you're playing the game or, like, even the addition of UI as you're playing the game. And it's just, like, dynamic UI in the game space is really interesting since you only have that one screen to use. And so, like, maybe that is the future of UI. It's like, oh, you're in combat now? We'll give you all these things on your HUD. You're out of combat, like, we're going to return like things like your inventory or something like that. I think Red Dead 2 did this pretty well as far yeah. as like, yeah, hide, hiding things unless you need them. Exactly. So that's definitely a pattern that I see that is probably going to trend pretty heavily down the line, I would say. And it's just like, it can be a complex thing to execute well, I think. But when it is done well, it just feels so it's nice really powerful, yeah. yeah. But you exactly. need a UX designer to call those things out. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the most important job, UX uh-huh. designer. <laughs> well, T, this has been super fun. Thank you for enlightening Marshall and I. Uh-huh. Do you want to talk about cool things? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right, let's do some cool things. Okay, how about I'll, I'll lead and just set the tone for, for how, how this could work for you, T. Just so there's okay. no, no pressure that there's a right or wrong way. Okay. So... Marshall and I have increasingly been sending each other different YouTube channels and video essays. And what I've really gotten into is film essays and people analyzing films in ways that I've never, I don't have the brain capacity to do on my own. And uh, one channel I've come across recently is this guy, Patrick H. Willems. And he makes these, a wide array of video essays, but he has one series where uh, called Patrick Explains. And the premise is he's sitting at the kitchen table with his parents, usually while he's getting drunk, and he explains a film or a, a film series. And so the most recent one I watched was Patrick Explains the Fast and the Furious. Oh, boy. And it is a 14-minute video where Patrick explains why Fast and the Furious is one of the best franchises ever made and, and why he's so excited about uh, the fact that they're making a ninth and 10th one. So is it kind of like an Eli 5 kind of a thing? Yes. He walks you through... I mean, it's super... For his parents. Yes, he is explaining it to his parents who have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Okay, okay. (laughs) But anyways, not only have I found the videos to be incredibly entertaining, but they're also convincing. So after I watched that, I actually went and watched the most recent Fast and the Furious movie, which I had put off seeing. And I had a great time, and I feel like he's helped me watch it in a different way that made it really, really fun. Gained an appreciation for it. He put it in perspective. I think the Fast and the Furious movies have this rap of like Ugh, i can't believe it's gone from street racing to saving the world mm-hmm. it's a stigma <laughs> for sure but, but his point of view is that's the point that's why this is it it's so unbelievably <laughs> ridiculous yeah. if you go into it knowing that it's just dumb and super fun then you're gonna have fun watching it and it worked out so anyways uh he has lots of great episodes actually the person who put me onto this was uh, Gabriel Valdivia. So shout out Gabe. Ooh, friend of the pod. Uh, because he recently did a three-part video essay on the limitations of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I watched leading up to uh, Endgame's release yesterday. So that's my cool thing. Uh, Patrick H. Willems on YouTube. Cool thing, Brian. T, you got a cool thing? I do. This is very design-oriented, I would say, but I thought it was super interesting. Um, a coworker actually shared this with me. 
If you go to design.peteforamerica.com slash team, there's this interesting, I, I don't really follow politics all that much, actually. I like tend to avoid it. But if you go to that website, there's this super amazing like design, almost like system, basically, or like library that this candidate uses for all of his campaign stuff. And you'll see like on that team page, there's a list of states and each one of the states here has like an illustration that follows his like design colors and like has the name of the state. And it's like the visual style of the typography is meant to kind of reflect the identity of that state. Super, super interesting. Oh man, these are so good. Yeah. Wow. There's just a ton of visual designers that have worked on these and he actually like links each one below. The cool thing is they all look like it's just like a collection of states. And I've never actually seen someone pay so much attention to the design of their campaign at all. Yeah. And I just thought it was super nifty. Like you can definitely see, oh yeah, like this kind of type reflects like the Texas one is pretty funny to me. Like I, I mean if it didn't have longhorns on it, then would it even be a Texas <laughs> or yeah, one exactly. star? Then yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's just a lot of these super cool treatments on uh the type of these like little banners and I just thought that was super cool. I don't see the pot leaf on Colorado. I'm confused. <laughs> It's on California. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's hidden somewhere in there. It's a design detail. Oh, these are so cool. I don't know what yeah. my favorite one is. Maybe I'm digging Kentucky and New Hampshire for some reason. Yeah. Like Massachusetts. It, it is really hard to pick a favorite one. I think these are all so well done and they're super fun. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I know that there's always been campaign design, but I feel like it never really started until Obama. I feel like that was the first yeah. time that design became in the forefront of a political campaign. But this is like way further than that even. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, someone call Shepard Ferry, please. <laughs> Yeah, so that's my little cool thing. This is a great cool thing. Thanks for the link. Yeah. Excellent cool thing, T. Nailed it. Actually design related. So (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nailed it out the gates. All right, Marshall. What what you got this week? All right. So my cool thing is um I went and saw this this little film uh yesterday. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Avengers Endgame. It's, oh. a, it's a new, it's it's this long running series, whatever you probably. That's the new it, Wes Anderson flick, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he teamed up with Michael Bay to make a really good movie. Oh my god! Oh thank <laughs> god! Wow, jeez! Can you imagine that crossover of the century? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, anyways, yeah. So uh, I saw Endgame yesterday, and I'm under the impression that both of you have also seen it. Indeed. Heck yeah. So what I'm proposing now is is that um, we say spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, it will have been out for like five or six days by the time this episode comes out, but that is not enough time for people to have seen it. So That's true. Uh, despite its whatever $60 million opening day. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about Endgame for my cool thing. And uh, we'll just say this is the end of the show. If you want to stop listening now and not get spoiled, skip ahead to the next chapter we we have chapters yeah oh yeah skip ahead to the next chapter i think we should actually spend the next five seconds saying spoiler spoilers spoiler spoilers 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 Spoilers. and maybe drew should insert five seconds of silence so that people (laughs) who aren't listening to our words right now will be like what the fuck is it over and then they'll realize that they're in spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have we caveated enough? Is that this sufficient? Is yeah. Hopefully a fair warning now. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. Marshall, so, your cool thing, you get a start. Yeah. So I, I want to just set this up by saying I, these movies have been coming out for 11 years or something, like 12 years, whatever. Over a decade of my life has been kind of wrapped up in watching every single one of these movies. The one I haven't seen is Cap- Captain Marvel. I didn't make it out to the theater to see that yet, which is sad. But um, I have seen every single other one, even the shitty ones. Even the bad Hulk movie with uh, what's Edward his face? Norton. Edward Norton, thank you. <laughs> and I think what they have done is fucking phenomenal. Like the the feels I had watching that final battle sequence of like ten years of my life has been leading up to this moment. You know, like because early on, you know, watching Iron Man or thinking about like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I got Spider Man in here? Right? It's like you kind of have this idea of how it could turn out. And the way it turned out was so much fucking cooler than anything I could have come up with on my own. It was so nice to see. I got full body chills watching a lot of the scenes. I fucking teared up. I almost cried in the theater. It was so, it was so good. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I thought it was amazing. I like. I walked out of the theater feeling so emotionally drained, oh, like in a good yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And like also super wired and like, tired at the same time because it was like two in the morning at that point but yeah I just like it has been a hell of a journey and I it's just I think it's the best Marvel movie I've ever seen actually yeah for sure. maybe Ooh. it would be useful to add a little structure here I'd like I'd be curious to hear like your favorite moments maybe a callback that was your favorite and then but it was full of callbacks huh there was one or two <laughs> I watched a YouTube video like 209 references in Endgame, and, and a yeah. lot of them were just Whoa. callbacks to lines from previous movies that I didn't even remember. But once he brought it up, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a line. We could do that. Like, what are some other things? We could do, um, you know, things that maybe left us disappointed, uh, biggest surprise, any of these things. I don't know, like adding it. Maybe we could add some structure because I think we could all sit here and say yeah. it was amazing. For another hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of my favorite one of my favorite scenes was when Captain America fights himself and the the past version of him says I can do this all day and the present version is like yeah I know like cuz that's his fucking that's his fucking catchphrase yeah, yeah. it's so good like hearing him say it to himself so good plus the leaning over and like I'm like oh dude just whisper hell hydra whisper hell and he oh fucking did it I'm like yes yeah we learned we've learned so much and when he stopped to admire his own ass like that is america's ass <laughs> that is america's ass and he uh, asked, he said ass, going, coming from, from language, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> to now appreciating America's ass. So good. Yeah. Dang, that is a good one. I think, <laughs> I think Captain America actually had some of the best ones in the movie, where it was just like going back to, like that elevator scene with the Hail Hydra moment, you're just totally expecting him to be about to like beat everyone up, and then he just like pulls the Hydra card. And just walks out. Oh, well, so that's good. why I, th- I thought that I was like, okay, we're gonna get another ele- elevator fighter fighting scene. Like, what I really want him is him for to use the knowledge he now has to like trick his way through it, like fucking D and D this shit, right? Like, <laughs> ro- you know, roll a twenty on this and yeah, just lean over yeah. and say Hell Hydra and you get out scot free. That's exactly what it, I was so I like had to stop myself from cheering. Oh, yeah. Well, I- actually, sorry. Can we pause on that really quick? Did y'all see this in a rowdy movie theater or a quiet movie theater? Rowdy. It was rowdy. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah, at two, like two twenty in the afternoon. Okay, right? good. And good. it was full and fucking rowdy, and it was amazing. All right. Yeah, I would say one of the one of the moments where I was like laughing for sure was like the scene where they first 
go back in time and then you just like see the hulk smashing everything oh so and, good. <laughs> but but like very uh lazily like very blase about smashing yeah first you ah. see like the original hulk like going ham like breaking yeah. the car and just like completely apeshit basically yeah, and then bruce is like oh god this is embarrassing <laughs> and then he just like yeah. starts going like eh, eh, he and, was like, so embarrassed he, he's like i've evolved now yeah <laughs> Can we talk about Bruce for a second? I think this is the best Hulk we've ever had because it looks a lot like Mark Ruffalo, right? Mm. Even the the asymmetry of his lips and his idiosyncrasies of the way his face moves and stuff, but it still felt like Hulk. It was like a perfect combination of the two, and like he actually was able to reconcile this battle that's been going on for years, right? But it looked really good. He was like kind of green, kind of you know white, you know in between. There was yeah. something really weird about seeing both of the super big characters wearing t-shirts. Like we saw Th- yeah. Thanos in a t-shirt and I was like, ow, he like, this could have a baseball team logo on it. And he's <laughs> like just a normal dude, you know, making, making tea in his cabin or whatever. When we first see Thor, which we should talk about Thor too, but uh, <laughs> oh, when we first no. see Thor, the rock guy, you know, the guy who's made of rocks, yeah, yeah. played by the director of the, of um, Ragnarok. Uh, he's wearing a like a, a Hawaiian shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, chilling on the couch, which is what that director wears. This is something I got from that that two hundred nine things. Oh, video. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, maybe we can talk about Thor. <laughs> Thor. Oh man, Fat I, Thor. Did you guys expect him to like? I I feel like the people that I was watching with was like, were at some point we we're expecting there to be some sort of scene where it's like. Um, like a montage him getting like really like into shape again or something a rocky, yeah, a rocky sequence it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i actually kind of appreciate that he didn't yeah and he was just like him the entire time his beard got braided when he yeah. went into battle mode but that's about it <laughs> I, that was yeah. actually one of the only things that pulled me out of the that battle because the battle was fine but the fact that his hair got braided when he struck himself with lightning i was like ah so it they didn't need to do that. <laughs> no, he always changed. He always changes a little bit when he goes into battle mode. Like his clothes can change but and everything. The braid was. <sighs> ah, I bought it. I was fine with it. Okay. I, I, okay. I wasn't even sure everyone would notice it. I, I, I barely noticed it. The fr- yeah, the person next to me was like, "Did that guy just get braided?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a rowdy movie theater. I thought it was so interesting though because like he just has such. And realistically emotional, like, he's just having such a hard time after Infinity War, basically. And, like, you can just see it from his body language and, like, what he's done. And, like, him having panic attacks as, like, he's supposed to go see, like, Natalie Portman, past love of his life kind of thing. And it's just, like, you really feel... You really just feel for him. Yeah. A lot of the characters in this movie, right? Like yeah. Hawkeye and, you know, everybody is, has lost something. Maybe Thor more than most, but like a, he only has a quarter of his people left or whatever. Yeah. Right? And like you realize at the end of the movie, like Loki is not back. Yeah. He's just, yeah. he's nope. actually just dead dead. And, and uh, Gamora isn't back. We just got past Gamora now in the future, right? Yeah. Well, does, what do you what do you guys think is going to happen next? So we don't really know anything about what Ooh. the next saga will be, but we're left with some danglers like that. So we have past Gamora is back, but now the the love interest will no longer be between Quill and a tree. It's Quill, a tree, and Thor. Supposedly, we know that. Uh, Wait, what? Quill, a tree, and Thor. Remember oh. that line where she goes, "Seriously, this guy?" And Nebula says, "Well, it was between him or a tree." 
Yeah. Now, okay. But now Thor okay, is is on board. All right. Fine. And he'll he'll get attractive again at some point, right? Drax is back too. Oh, Drax man. is there. Everybody's back. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be interesting now that like, okay, so Tony's gone and and uh, Captain America's gone for good, for good. And now we have is Falcon? Is that his yeah. superhero name? Is the new is the new Captain America? Like, I think that will probably drive a lot of of the future stuff. Is like where how that team gets assembled and who's in it, right? Who's in the Avengers now? Because it's changed a few times over the years, right? Yes. After Civil War, it was like totally different people. Did you guys notice that kid that was at Tony's funeral? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know who that is? Himself. I have no idea who that is. That's the kid from Iron Man 3. Oh. Yeah, but what kid from Iron Man 3? Uh, Tony goes to this town in like Michigan or some shit, and there's oh. this kid there. Oh. Right. The kid. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. The kid with the garage that he gives yes, him a bunch of yes. stuff at the end. Yep, oh, yep. my God. That's the kid grown up and completely unrecognizable. I had to look it up. <laughs> and just like no context. We're just going to drop him in here in the scene and we're going to do I, I, I imagine everyone in the theater is like us. There's like, who the fuck is this teenage kid? I had I had the perfect person sitting to the left of me where they they only spoke out when they were like the things that they said out loud matched perfectly in time with what I was thinking in my head. So it wasn't distracting. <laughs> and at that point they were like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, but you yeah. know, they whispered it. They were very polite, but I heard it and I'm like, ah, yes, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's good to know. Somehow he got the memo. I, uh, on that note, you know, having read through the, the reddits and stuff, I think it was odd that they didn't talk about widow afterwards. Like she never got mm. a funeral. Yeah. They didn't yeah. double that up. Um, yeah, so she got a it was good, more about Tony. She got a heroic send off, but she didn't get the the aftermath element to it. Yeah, I actually kind of hoped that it was Hawkeye who died at the end of that. But you know, if the if the reverse snap brings his family back, then what does sacrifice mean, etc.? Like she really does have no one. Yeah, so it makes more sense from a story standpoint to have her be the one. But yeah, it's I, I don't know if it's like a con- contractual thing. It's like. You know, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson just didn't want to do this anymore. So kill us mm. off or what. But yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it was interesting because I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, why didn't she get a funeral? But but Tony did. I thought it was cool, though, that during that final battle, there was like a, a, a huge, all, like all the female superheroes get yes! together. And like, I was like, holy shit, there's a lot of them. It's It's easy to forget because they're spread out along other movies yeah. and they're always the minority in their own movie but like when you put them all together it's like holy shit look at this badass group of women about to kick some ass seriously uh-huh. that was that was and obviously i'm female so that was the moment where i actually cheered the loudest in the theater oh yeah i was just i went ham i was like <laughs> yep. holy shit this is actually amazing and like yeah, it was for you, and it was for little girls. It was like, hey, guess yeah. what? You you can be superheroes too. That's awesome. Yeah, it was like the just being able to see like the culmination of the entire series. That very like it was very composed too. Like that scene, which is like you can print that on a freaking poster somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, that shout out though to like all the female cast and all of these super badass women was just it's just such it's so well timed. I think given like cultural context right now and it was just so uplifting to be able to see that so i definitely appreciated that moment well we got a moment like that in black panther like in the ditch when the 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 blue alien lady comes back to fight and she's trying to beat up wanda but then scarlett johansson shows up and the first fighter lady for for what kind of i forget her name what was she doing up there all this time (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly 
yeah, but the, there's that like little scene of like we got her back, right? And it's it's a, yeah. a, a smaller version, of, but this yeah. is like the big full version of that. Like, yeah, kick ass. Wait, hang on. Are you talking about Infinity War or Black Panther? Oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry. That was Infinity War. It's okay. easy to forget. Yeah, it's easy to mix <laughs> these movies up. Well, there's been a lot. Well, of them. both those scenes were in Wakanda, so I get it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, super cool. I thought I thought that was really cool. Um, there was a lot of there's a lot of like fan service moments throughout the movie. Like there's a lot of um, really nice callbacks to previous movies. Uh, there was even callbacks to movies that are outside this um, universe, or well, I guess in the universe, but outside of Marvel. Like just like literally, we're gonna do the Back to the Future two plot. Oh and, yeah, and reference Back to the Future two in the movie. Like I love it. Which yeah. that might be considered lazy by some people. Of like, well, <laughs> you did the lazy thing, and then when you acknowledge that you're doing the lazy thing, that's supposed to excuse the lazy thing. But no, I'm cool with it. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Back to the Future 2 is one of my favorite movies, so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> uh, favorite character arc? Ooh. Mm. Uh, Tony. Yes, mm. absolutely. He went from the guy being accused of by, in, in Ultron, I think it was, Cap says, you're not the guy to sacrifice. You're not the guy to, to you know, like fall down and be walked over. Right. Yep. But then, yeah, he is that guy. Mm. Ultimately. It is so emotional when he's finally just like lying there. And you think about how the first time they show up at his cabin, he's just like, no, I, this is the second chance I've always wanted. Um, and I've always needed. And then like later on, he like just solves the time traveling equation and pepper is just like you got to do it like you have the ability to save everyone you know you have to do it and there's no way you would be satisfied knowing that you found out how to do it but you didn't do it yeah. and i'm just like i feel so much for both pepper and tony because they finally got the life that they wanted they had a beautiful daughter and then like of course this happened where it's just like it was going to be the most epic battle for like all of their lives again. And like it ends in basically him saving everyone. But I think it's great. Like the moment that he does the like, I am Iron Man. And uh, snap. I have full body chills right now. Seriously. Yeah, like hearkening back to the very first Iron Man movie movie. It was just, Oh my God. Plus they, they set it up so well in the same movie of like, because they, they set up that line with Thanos saying, I am inevitable. Right. Mm -hmm. Which which was kind of the jumping off point for him to respond with. No, I'm Iron Man. Right. But they only did that in this movie. It would have been cool if it was set up earlier. But even even in this movie, it was still like right at the very beginning. Right. In the when they go to cut his head off that it's long enough that you're like, oh, yeah, this is such a perfect payback, you know, one liner. Yeah. I have a question for you. all. OK, so both of your favorite arcs were Tony. That's a good one. But I have a question. Were you able to predict anything going into this movie? And for example, <laughs> I had no spoilers, but even in my head, like the first 10 minutes when they killed Thanos, at that moment, I realized I had no clue what the fuck could possibly happen in this movie. <laughs> I think that was the idea, right? Yeah. Like I yeah. didn't watch any of the trailers, but I'm under the impression that most of the stuff in the trailers was from the first act, like the first third or so, first quarter. The first trailers from the first five minutes of the movie like yeah. the whole teaser is the first five minutes of the movie and then love it then they yeah. kill thanos and it's like 
cool. Here's three more hours of you have no uh-huh. idea what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a fucking Paul Rudd time travel movie is what it's going to be. <laughs> Paul <laughs> like, Rudd time machine. Who would have guessed that? Yeah, exactly. They even call out hot tub time machine yeah. in the movie. It's so good. <laughs> oh, that whole sequence was good. Calling out uh, their favorite time travel movie. <laughs> Terminator? You mean this whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. just like listing it all. Yep. <laughs> Die Hard. Oh, wait, not that one. <laughs> I got to say, I definitely was sitting there after they killed Thanos and was like oh well shit like what what happens now and then like the next thing that happens is literally a screen that just blacks out and goes five years later and you're like but it didn't go five years later it went five years later right I've never seen a title screen do that before especially with time passing where it's like usually it's just like one month later five years later right now this is like it makes you wait for it so you're actually feeling yeah. the passage of time during the title card so good oh ux design right there That's yeah <laughs> seriously i, I yeah. had that moment through i'm like someone had this idea and it's so smart yeah I'll, i hope yeah, we see it that just, again it sets such a heavy tone for like or oh, you're just like in anticipation of what happened i actually didn't even know if it was going to say five years earlier or five years later and so i thought the anticipation of that was super interesting mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. Five months, five days. Oh, five years. Okay. Earlier, later. Yep. Yeah. And that's like your most movies, they have this moment. It's called the, the Dark Knight of the Soul, which is like all is lost. It's also called the all is lost moment where like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And it seems like all is lost, right? Usually that happens about two thirds of the way into the movie, like three quarters of the way, like right at the beginning of act three, sometimes in the middle. This happens in the first fucking five minutes. It's like (laughs) everything is fucked. Everything is fucked. They have a similar sequence later on, which is like right after the unsnap where everybody's coming back and there's like birds in the tree and like everything. Okay, everything is fine. And then Thanos shows up and blows everything up. (laughs) And somehow they all survive. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, whatever. (laughs) whatever yeah i'll buy it yeah sure it is interesting though that you say that because if we look at like infinity war plus endgame and treat it as an entire like movie unit infinity war ends at the point where it's like everything's fucked yep and then it like begins again and it's like seriously everything is definitely (laughs) no seriously guys (laughs) i I feel like that was the writers going in in response to the obvious reaction of everybody going okay well they're gonna undo all this stuff and none none of this is gonna matter this is a false loss this doesn't really count right and then the first thing they hit you with is like, no, everything is really fucked. Actually, it's even worse than you thought it was because <laughs> it can't even be undone the way that you thought it would be easily undone. Yeah, there is there is no spirit realm, which I think was the most popular. Idea. Well, maybe there is in the comic books, but I think the popular idea was they're going to go to that orange, orangey, glowy Inside place. Inside the Soul yep. Stone. There's even a subreddit called Inside the Soul Stone. Yeah, but, everyone yeah. will be there. They'll figure out how to get them out. Gamora will come back. Like, mm-hmm. And none of that happened. So, Speaking of Soul Stones, though, my roommates and I were talking about this before, but it's like previously Gamora had been sacrificed to obtain the, the Soul Stone. And then... In that timeline that we're watching the movie, Hawkeye and Black Widow are, like, fighting to be the sacrifice, and eventually, like, we lose Widow. And then Gamora is back, though. But, like, the whole premise of, like, the Soul Stone is, like, soul for a soul, you can't give this soul back. Well, they did, though, right? Because the Gamora that came back isn't the same Gamora, and the thing that made her so valuable was or at least to us as the audience is that she loved quill and she's part of the team and blah blah blah, right and all that stuff is gone she's a stranger again yeah so it's interesting that you say that because then 
we were thinking about like, okay, so actually can you can get like people back technically by like going back in the timeline, I guess. You are never going to get that same person back ever again. And like, if you go back in time and convince them to switch time streams into your time in the future. Which <laughs> yeah. is what happened to Gamora, right? Like she was in a different timeline and then she jumped into the future into this new timeline. And now she will stay. I don't know. <laughs> and now she will stay, question mark. I I liked yeah. uh someone pointed out it would be a very comical moment to get to watch Captain America go back in time and go to Vormir and see Red Skull and be like, <laughs> Here's your stone back, dude. <laughs> Here you go, Hugo. Here's the yeah. here's stone. We're done with this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, ostensibly, he would show up right after Hawkeye left, right? Yeah. Same thing with, and that's what I was wondering is like, how does he jump around? Okay, can we talk about some some broken things? Like yes. maybe some bad things? Okay. Yeah, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and say I am fine with time travel flaws being hand wavy and this did yep. not ruin it for me. I don't I don't really care, but there's still things worth talking about. So okay. like the thing that, that did bug me a little bit, that is still not a deal breaker, but it bugged me a little bit is like, did he need the machine to jump throughout time? Because he's going to 2014, he's going to 1950, whatever. He's, you know, he's going to all these different times, but all he has is like the pin particles, but he doesn't have the machine he was originally standing in when Hulk hit the button, right? He doesn't need it. He has the wrist thing, which is the GPS through time. Okay. So he can use that with pin okay. to... I think that's the point, right? Like he could use that in combination with pin particles to go to a different point in time. The machine was just to get back to the present, I think. So another problem I had is like, is there only one timeline or are there potentially multiple, but by maintaining all of the soul stones in this one timeline, it keeps it intact? Like that seemed to be what the, what Tilda Swinton was trying to say. Ooh, right. The whole, like, if you take one out, then the time stream will diverge basically yeah yeah like the yellow line with the black line coming off of it right i believe that there are multiple timelines like that's that was the point of that whole exposition with with hulk is like this how the time streams work and then you can restore them and then they can branch and break right yeah they can branch but like okay yeah i guess what i'm saying is like my problem is that if if there are multiple timelines and and changing anything in the past branches it off and now you're in a parallel timeline how does cap make it back to the prime timeline that the rest of our characters in as an old man if he went back in time and like ended up with peggy which would obviously change a lot of things about agent carter and her integration like the the lady who lived down the hall from him who ended up being like an agent agent yep. 13 or yeah, something yeah. she like would she wasn't she like peggy's granddaughter or something like that and like is is that captain's granddaughter oh, or was it yeah. not the was it for a husband that she had that wasn't captain now that husband doesn't make you know like they're not together to have agent 13 so like how does that all work it doesn't really matter but like <laughs> how does that all work you know i haven't i hadn't even thought that deep about it but yeah yeah now that you say that it's like it either had to have been just a completely separate stream then and then he comes to like the present also separate stream or it just affects the entire future of that particular timeline i don't know uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, would he be? Because he'd be an old man sitting on a bench in a yeah. in a parallel timeline that didn't have Hulk, and 
Bucky and and uh, Falcon hanging out there, right? Yeah, super weird. I, I don't know. I'm reading the Polygon article about if this is a <laughs> hole or not. I don't know. Ultimately, I'm okay with it because getting to see the scene of him dancing cheek to cheek with Peggy back in time, Aww, yeah. like fucking, I'm again getting full body chills now. So sweet and so perfect. The ending that the the life he thought he gave up and sacrificed due to this thing that was completely out of his control. Other than the action he did take in his control to basically sacrifice his future with her, right? He gets it back. He gets it back. He can have he can have the life he wanted and be able to have saved the universe in the process. Yeah. It's interesting because that's the same thing that happens with Iron Man, basically. Like Oh yeah. He he does he gets the life that he wants. And then it, it's just like it's flip flop. But yeah, though. reversed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's the he's almost like the foil to that. Well, what's interesting with Tony, though, is that, like, I I think what makes his arc a little bit easier to swallow for me emotionally is that he thought he was dead at the beginning of the movie, right? And we see him Mm -hmm. in a really convincing, like, skinny CG that was really cool. Um, He actually looks malnourished, which is hard for a guy who I'm sure goes to training every day for the movie, you know. But he, he basically thought he was dead. And then he gets this new lease on life when Captain Marvel shows up and saves the day, right? But then when it comes time to do the thing, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Like uh, Dr. Strange specifically doesn't tell him what's supposed to happen because he knows that if he tells him, he might Mm -hmm. have time to think about it and not do the thing that he would normally do. So yeah, he makes this, he makes the sacrifice knowing that he got five years for free kind of. Mm. (sighs) That scene where Dr. Strange holds up the finger and it slowly focuses. One. Yeah, one one out of whatever. Well, because that's six million. That was the million. moment where everyone's like, "It's about to happen." You knew yeah. he's mm-hmm. gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And also, you're just like, "Wow, you're holding back that wall of water forever." <laughs> <laughs> the, saw someone say that's the metaphor for everyone's bladders during the movie. <laughs> Yeah, the first thing I did, the first thing I did when the credits rolled was I searched, is there anything after Endgame? Dude, same. And, I, can I and go when pee? I found out it was no, I got up and left and went straight to the bathroom. Oh, uh, I wish we had looked it up, but I don't think anyone wanted to even like risk anything. So we just like sat. There was something after all the credits. Oh, what was it? I missed it. Uh, you hear a hammer yeah. clinging in the background. Yeah. It's audio only. Oh, can we talk about Cap holding? God yes. damn it. That, yes. oh my God. All right. So I I was in a rowdy theater. and what, that, What's it called? Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Thank you. Mjolnir. Thank you. At that moment in the movie, the theater was so loud. I thought I was in the battle itself. <laughs> Everyone was yeah, so, dude. like people were. So good. Such good hyped, fan service, hyped, man. Hyped. It was yeah, uh, that was definitely and, the loudest moment in my theater too. Like the the moment where you see like the hammer just like shaking, you're like, oh, is it Thor trying to get it? And it goes into the hand of Captain America, and suddenly it's just like this super fluid like fight scene where he just like, uh, oh my god, like hammer the shield into Thanos and then get the shield back and like call the lightning. Everyone was like, what is happening? Yeah, dude, the <laughs> fucking lightning. He has a lightning. That's so cool. And and the fact that it was set up several movies ago in Ultron, yeah. where yes. they're all trying to, yeah. the, the after party, where they're trying to pick up the hammer, and it budges just a little bit when Cap tries to pick it up, and, and Thor's freaked out. But now everything has changed, and he's stoked that, that he can use the hammer. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I actually appreciated the fact that Thor was like, I knew it, and he there was no, like hurt or anything whatsoever about like no that's my hammer but and and then it just like 
he just starts using it. And it, yeah, it was truly just such an epic scene. Oh my god, I actually wish I could just rewatch that. I need to rewatch a clip of just that, actually. Uh, I'm pre-ordering the fuck out of this movie, <laughs> by the way. I mean, maybe you already know this, but in, in Age of Ultron at the party scene, so the after party scene is what that's directly referencing, but I loved how it was even set up a little before that, the party scene where... Thor's talking about his Asgardian alcohol and he's he's pouring it and he's talking to Stanley and all the old army guys and he says this is this is you know famous on Asgard uh it is not meant for mortal men and as he says it's not meant for mortal men he's handing the glass to to Captain and and Cap takes a sip like as he's saying you know you can't handle this so it's like a perfect moment like he he even knew long before that Captain was was no mortal wow. man yeah I didn't even remember that well, he, I mean, he grows old, but yeah, sure, fine. You know what I mean? He is worthy. <laughs> He's worthy of, of Asgardian liquor. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a reference to the um, to the barrel that he mentions trying to get to when he goes back in time. Oh. The wine. When, when oh. With the rocket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, uh, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> the, the, there might be a barrel. <laughs> His whole arc was really interesting, too, of like, well, first off, seeing that amazing fat suit that was like the best <laughs> prosthetic fat suit i've ever seen oh, in my life God. it was so good and i feel like there was a couple scenes where i think it was cg'd on like his shirt didn't look quite real well there was a couple where it looked like they might be trying to insinuate he was getting in better shape because there wasn't as much of a bulge at times yeah i, I just like that change of like because on all the posters it's uh, short beard short hair you know with the with the cuts in the yeah. side straight from Ragnarok yeah. right they didn't let this go at all like it was completely kept a secret so coming into the movie I expected to see my chiseled Thor that I'm used to <laughs> your chiseled Thor yeah uh, no, yeah it's mine <laughs> yeah. Um, and and seeing him in that cabin yeah just like basically living a bachelor life and letting himself go playing Fortnite <laughs> yeah playing playing fucking Fortnite yep Yep, hanging out with Meek and the rock guy, whatever his name is. Yeah, that was interesting to see, especially because, oh, okay, he's going to have to reconcile some things. I see where his arc is going. So once we saw that, I kind of saw where that was going to have to go. But yeah, most of the movie, I just had no clue what was going to happen. Can we talk about the fact that, like, when Nebula comes back, and it's like the bad Nebula, basically. Yeah. She is, like, operating the time machine thing and opens it up and... Obviously, like, Thanos' spaceship comes through. Meanwhile, everybody is, like, looking at the Infinity Gauntlet. It's about to be put on. Hulk's about to, like, use it. How did nobody hear the crash of this giant spaceship going in through the building? Like, how did Friday not say anything to Iron Man about, like, hey, there's something wrong. Security's been compromised. It just, like, snuck through. That's a good point. Or or the fact that nobody was like, hey, where's Nebula? Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, so we all went on this crazy adventure. We're back in the room to try the thing that was the point of the adventure, and we're missing, well, two characters, I guess, at this point. But Well, she kind of is always in the back. Like, whenever they have those group scenes, she's always kind of moping in the back. So maybe it was... Not that crazy, but yeah. No, that's a good point, yeah. And I guess I also don't understand, like, if they can actually have things come through the portal, like, how did they coordinate that in the first place? It seemed like the ship was shrunken, like pin particle shrunken, when it came through and got bigger yeah. or something. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, Nebula did have, she did take the other Nebula's pin particle and gave it to Thanos. Right. But it's like, right. if, if you can do that, then what's stopping them, I guess, from like going back to the thing 
and like teleporting specific things that they need back into the timeline maybe i don't know welcome to time travel movies (laughs) and i also wonder like if they even needed to all go at the same time to retrieve the time stone like could that could they have done it in a way where it's like staggered groups instead yeah staggered in the present yeah yeah totally they could have but too logical (laughs) three hours everyone's got to face their past yeah yeah, yeah. Man, juggling all of these stories and literally making sure that everyone has enough screen time from the last 22 movies yeah. or whatever it is, 21 movies before this, like making sure that, you know, because there, there are fans of every major and minor character, right, that, that you kind of feel like you need to accommodate for those, for that audience of like, we'll give them a, a little hero scene, right? Like managing all of that, I can't imagine how many drafts this thing went through and how much. Ah, gosh, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah, well, uh, I shipped a new feature in, in a app, <laughs> so you know, just think about that's, that. Th- that's what I'm th- talking about. It's like it's like I work on like relatively small things compared to this. Like, and there isn't you know million millions billions of dollars riding on it. Right. Yep. Yeah. It isn't the culmination of 12 years of work. It's impressive. I can't imagine the pressure. Like the, there must have been some creative process to remove that pressure from yourself, knowing knowing for sure that the movie you're going to make is going to make billions of dollars. The the expectations of fans and the company and the press, like it, everything is stacked against you that every mistake will be picked apart and uh, overanalyzed. Yep. yep. And like there's just not really anything meaningful to pick apart. That I can tell. Yeah, I, I left fully sated. I, yeah. I left yeah. completely satisfied. I totally agree with that. Which is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one in fourteen million chance right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel I feel like yeah, this is the one reality where they where they pulled yeah. it off. It could have gone wrong yeah. so many different ways. Yeah, totally beautiful execution on their part. Like, was there like maybe Thor two? Is like the worst. Yeah, the Dark World. Yeah, and if you count like the original Incredible Hulk with Edward mm-hmm. Norton, like maybe that's that's one of the worst ones. But like they're really, uh, it's kind of like Pixar, right? Where it's like okay, Cars, like Cars Two was like the worst movie, but it's still an okay movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I like individual moments of all of them. There's some that I don't like the overall storyline, or there's I don't know the the Thor ones had a very different style yeah. that was more fantasy than than the other ones which are way more real worldy yeah until taika waititi or whatever his name is came on right right for ragnarok so i don't know there's moments from from each that make me not really care too much yeah it was all worth it it all it all culminated in these whatever like six hours of movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is some of the most amazing it's like an achievement truly an achievement Uh, my hat is off I don't wear a hat, but if I did, it would be off. It would be off for for these folks. I think the last time I even felt anywhere near this way was actually when I watched the last, like, Dark Knight movie. And I just walked out of, like, holy crap, it's over. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking about that, like, because, I I mean, I like Star Wars. I like Star Trek, but I'm not, like, huge. I'm probably more into Star Trek than Star Wars, but, like... I I had the moment of being like, oh, this is what it must have felt like watching, you know, the the third original Star Mm -hmm. Wars movie in the theater, you know, but but probably this is more right because it's been taken taken longer. It's taken more movies. We've there are far more characters. We're more deeply involved in all of these characters. So or maybe not more deeply involved, but like there's a lot more involvement or um, investment, I guess, just due to the size of the thing. Yeah, it's probably really similar to also just like 
I guess, Harry Potter, the entire, like, movie series, like, being able to see all of those actors grow up, and, like, it used to be just, like, a magical, wonderful world, and by the end, it's just, like, really dark, really, like, this is reality kind of thing, but, like, triumphant still, and that's basically how you feel at the end of Endgame. Harry Potter's, like, way does that for me, because I think I was pretty close to the same age as all those characters Mm -hmm. so i like literally grew up with them yeah like growing up alongside those which i didn't get from the the marvel universe you get invested in the the story arc but they don't really grow up with you they're all adults right Ugh, adults grown ups gross (laughs) no that's a great point t i think yeah harry potter is the perfect comparison here as yeah like part two of deathly hallows yeah yeah same same feels Almost the same number of movies, yeah. not quite, but like about as close as you can get nowadays. Yeah. 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 yeah with a number of characters like and the number of, of storylines yeah. to tie up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. Well, T and Marshall, love you both, but I'm running out of talking energy, but uh, I could, I could just sit here and say, uh, uh, I could make this noise, <laughs> you know, expressing my admiration for Endgame all night, but uh, I need to run. So great episode. This was a lot of fun. It T, was a thank lot you of so fun. much thank for, so for much. hanging out with us. Yeah. Anything else we, we want to wrap up before our, our episode concludes Marshall? Yeah. You got anything you want to plug or shout out T? My riot team, I guess like Moats team. They're super awesome to work with. They'll probably, I don't even know if they'll ever know this. I might never even link them. This just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> they definitely will hear it at some point. Um, but yeah, shout out to you two for sure for bringing me on and having me. It's been a ton of fun. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. This was fun. Excellent. Well, um, I guess that's it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a tired ending to, to a, a long, a long but fun episode. All right. Go eat dinner. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. This, talk this to is you all later. proof that T Chang has a heart. <laughs> <laughs> and patience. All right. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks, T. Okay. You made it through. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with T. You did it. If you listen to the end game conversation, we hope that you were able to uh, enjoy that alongside us. And if you didn't listen to it, we hope that you will go see end game soon. I'm, I'm slowly turning this show into vicarious, Brian. Yeah. Hopefully you don't notice. <laughs> slow, slow and steady, bud. Thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Tweet at us. Tweet at T. Uh, let T what you thought of, her, of the app. Hella links in the show notes. Yeah, we really appreciate her time and, and insight into designing for, for games. So much new stuff to consider, and we hope that it, it was new for you. So let us know. And of course, thank you to Abstract, the design workflow management system for design teams and stakeholders to seamlessly manage, version, and collaborate on design files. It's like GitHub, but for designers, it's going to change the way that you and your team build products together. And it's available right now for free on a 30-day trial at abstract.com. Go sign up, get your team on board, and experience the magic of a version-controlled source of truth. That's at abstract.com. Thank you again to Abstract for making this episode possible. If you need more podcasts for your eardrums, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. The shows there are produced by our master editors, Sarah and Drew, who pull out all the good bits and they make us sound way smarter than we actually are. So thank you, Sarah and Drew, for the work you do for us, Design Details, and all the rest of your work on the Spec Network. That's at spec.fm. 
And of course, if you want to uh, up our velocity of iTunes reviews, we always appreciate reading those and we'll try and read those on the air. So thank you again to Kelly Brooks, who left an iTunes review in April. If anyone else leaves an iTunes review, we'll be checking those and, and reading those out on the show. Those basically tell Apple that you listened to us, you liked us, and then they can recommend us safely to other designers. So we really appreciate those. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, that was grating. <laughs> so good. Can you give me an, an, an Avengers themed bye? Mm hmm. Oh, fuck. You know what's interesting? It's so hard to remember the Avengers theme song unless it's just played. There you go. Bye, 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 <laughs> bye, 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 bye. <laughs> Oh my so god. Good. That was so good. Did I'm I dying. nail it. I'm dying. Right. <laughs> I'm dying. Thanks, Marshall. <laughs>